morning, church. Good to see you. We are uh, finishing this morning uh, a series on walking through the Word. We're going through Psalm 119. We're actually going to finish it for now, and we'll pick it back up next November, uh, and we will finish up Psalm 119. So get your Bible out. Turn with me to Psalm 119. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you, okay? We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, uh, especially if you read on a regular basis. If you don't know your way around the Bible, Psalm 119 is almost in the middle. So find the middle and you'll come be pretty close, okay? So uh, this is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's an acrostic uh, built out on the, on the Hebrew alphabet, and uh, each section is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet where the author is reminding us uh, of the importance of the Word of God. I am... Um, and then you can take notes, follow along with me in the note sheet. I, this is, uh, I'm going to finish today uh, by asking you uh, some uncomfortable questions. And uh, so I'm kind of prepping that for you now. And um, so I, uh, I recently, so one of the things that I do about this time of year, actually a little bit before Thanksgiving, is I try to get in uh, as you get old, young people don't know much about this, but as you get older, you'll know. You, you have to have several doctor's checkup appointments throughout the year with every doctor that you see, right? And, and if you don't make the appointment, uh, the various doctors will reach out to you and call you and remind you that you have these appointments. And the reason I try to do them uh, before Thanksgiving uh, is because if I do it during the holidays, I know the first thing they're going to do when I walk in is make me step on that doggone stale, scale, right? And so, all right. So how many of y'all, when you step on the scale, like you start unloading your pockets, like that's going to help, like, man, anything I can do to get lighter, you know, I do that too. Uh, so I had two of those checkup appointments this, uh, a couple weeks ago, last couple weeks, and they did something odd that I didn't expect. They actually didn't weigh me. Uh, they actually asked for my weight, Okay, so they start actually with my height. Like, how tall are you? And I'm like, well, I think I'm shrinking, actually. So I used to be 5'10". I don't think I'm that anymore. And, and, uh, and then they're like, well, how much do you weigh? And I'm like, why do, why did the medical community get away with this? Like, you cannot ask that question in any other place, right? Could you imagine if you're doing a job interview, right? You're sitting there like, hey, tell me how much you weigh. Like, you know, like HR is going to be all over you. You can't ask that question. And so they asked me, they didn't weigh me. So my mind went to the day after I had the stomach bug and I stepped on the scale and I was like, oh, I weigh this amount, you know, kind of not really telling the whole truth. And so I go to the second doctor, the same thing happened. How, how tall are you? And I'm like, are we doing this again? How much do you weigh? And so I looked at this version knowing I'd already kind of fudged the truth on the last number, right? And I just looked at him and said, hey, why don't you guess? Because I'm probably not going to tell you the truth anyway. So uh, that's kind of how it went. And so they guessed. And don't laugh because you all do it too, right? You're not telling the truth. Um, so we're journeying through the longest book of the Bible, and I'm going to finish this morning with uh, some uncomfortable questions, okay, that I, ho I, I want to challenge us as a church. Now, if you're a guest, I know it's kind of the Thanksgiving holiday. This is like the service where, you know, I always say that there's probably a lot of people sitting here that had a drug problem. You got drug here this morning because you're with your family, you know. And by the way, I'm really, really glad you're here. And, uh, and so I'm really kind of preaching this morning at people that are Christians. Uh, and so, so at the Coastal, we use the word gospel a lot. So those of you who are here all the time, what does the word gospel mean? 
It means good news, okay? So, so the, the whole story of the, of the Scriptures points us to a person, and the person is Jesus Christ, and He is the good news. Now, to understand the good news, you have to first understand the bad news. The Bible actually tells us that uh, left to our own devices, we're sinners, we don't want our Creator. Uh, we don't want His character, His, the, his ways. Uh, we're in rebellion to our Creator. And because of that, the Bible actually teaches what we deserve is the wrath of God. We actually deserve His punishment because of our behavior and rebellion against His ways. Now, God is a good God, and we're going to talk about that this morning, and He didn't leave us in that predicament. He could have, uh, but instead He intervened and He gave His very best gift. So at Christmas, uh, when we start exchanging gifts, that tradition comes from this idea that God so loved, John 3, 16, that He actually gave. He's a gift giver, right? And so we exchange gifts to remind us of the goodness of our God who gave us His best gift. And what's the great gift He gave us? He sent His one and only Son, Jesus. Jesus did the very opposite of us. He lived a perfect life. He's the only person that walked the planet that didn't deserve the wrath of God, but rather chose the wrath of God. He hung on a cross and he bore God's wrath and hatred for your sin and my sin so that we don't have to bear it ourselves. Christ bore it for us, right? And he hung on the cross. And as he hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And because for the first time in, in his existence, he was bearing God, his heavenly, his father's wrath, right? It was the wrath that I deserved and the wrath that you deserved. And then they laid his lifeless body in a grave. Now, here's the thing. And, the, and actually, the Bible actually teaches this. If this isn't true, go do something else. You really don't have to be here this morning if what I'm about to say isn't true. And then he, amen, you're thinking about leaving, but hear me out, okay? So, 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus bodily rose from the grave. He stepped out of his own grave, and that authenticated his claims of being the Son of God and the only way to connect to our Creator, okay? And the Bible says, if that's not true, eat, drink, and be merry. Go do something else, but don't waste your time at church. But because it is true, we have the hope of abundant and eternal life. So that's the good news. And so how do we receive this gospel, this good news? The Bible says we need to admit we're sinners, turn from our sin, and believe in God's rescue plan for our life, okay, which is Jesus Christ. And then the rest of our life is not earning God's favor, but it's growing to be more like our creator, the God that we now worship through Christ. Everybody with me? And so now I'm preaching to those of you who are saying, man, I'm in Christ and I want to grow and stay on course, okay, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what Psalm 119 is really a text giving us, hey, here's how you stay on course as a follower of Christ. So point number one, we have to stay on course with all of our heart, okay? We have to stay on course with all of our heart. Psalm 119.57 says, the, the psalmist writes, listen, this is a very powerful phrase, by the way, the Lord is my portion. Portion is the idea that your heart is consumed with something. In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus, Romans 1 actually teaches us it's not a matter of if you worship something, it's a matter of what you worship. You're either going to worship the Creator through Christ or you're going to worship the created. What do I mean by that? Success, stuff, 401ks, money, all the created, and that stuff will not satisfy you. There's a thing in your heart that only Christ can satisfy. 
And the psalmist says, I have made the Lord my portion. That's what I'm going to be consumed in worship. And so, once the Lord's your portion, we can keep his words. I promise to keep your words. He says, I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promises. Listen, a couple things. Letter A, God is your portion. The idea here is that God is your everything, that you're consumed with serving and worshiping the Lord. And when God is your portion, very often you will see the favor of God. The psalmist actually reminds God of that. Remember, God, you're my portion, so now I I entreat you. I'm begging you to be gracious to me. Which, by the way, like if you've been following God for any length of time and you're honest about your life and you reflect on your life, if you've had any kinds of success in your life, you quickly realize it's really God anyway. Yes? Psalm 127 tells us that, right? I love Psalm 127. I, I say this all the time in my own life and around Coastal. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, it doesn't matter how many battleships your country owns. Yes? That's not in here. I just put that in, by the way. So, man, sometimes we like, we are, we think as a culture that we can do the opposite of God yet have the blessings of God because we have a big military. And I praise God for those of you who serve in the military, men and women. I'm thankful for you. But at the end of the day, if God's not building this country, right? Amen? Amen. Because unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of your anxious toil. In other words, you worry and worry and worry about your provision as if it all depends on you. God gives to his beloved when they're sleeping. That's what this text says, right? Unless the Lord builds a house, man, you're laboring in vain. So our portion is the Lord, and then the Lord takes care of us. The psalmist reminds letter B that when we get off course, we should turn back quickly. We get off course, because even as Christians, we get off course, right? We get enticed by the things of the world. We stumble in our own sin. Uh, We're not perfect. We're growing in sanctification or to be more like Christ, but we still can get off course. And the psalmist reminds us in verse 59, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten, listen to this, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. That's a, that's a powerful phrase, not delaying and keeping the commandments of God. You know what we like to do sometimes? Sometimes we like to coddle our sin. Sometimes we, sometimes even as Christians, like, uh, we can play around with sin as if it's a small thing. The Bible's really clear about sin. The wages of sin is what? Your sin wants to kill you. And sometimes we coddle it. I'll hold on to this unforgiveness towards my family members because they really wronged me. And I'll just hold on to that. I'll indulge this sexual thought a little longer than I should because the truth is I'm, it's my portion in this moment. 
and not Christ. Sin is crouching at the door to kill us. The author of Hebrews and talking to us about staying on course and running the race, and I love this passage, by the way, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, says, the author of Hebrews says, therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let's run with, what's the word there, church? Endurance. By the way, this reminds us our life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And we're looking ahead and we keep an eternal perspective. Let us run with endurance the race that is, what's it say next? Said before us. All right, everybody stop. I want everybody's eyeballs for a minute and take that slide off the screen. This is a really important truth, by the way. The God of the Bible has set a particular race in front of you. God says, I want you to run the race that I have set before you. Your race is not your neighbor's race. Because here's what we tend to do. Man, I sure wish I had my neighbor's race because their race includes a boat and jet skis. I ain't got a boat and jet skis, right? Like, or whatever. Whatever we're coveting or envying. And when we do that, here's what we're saying. God, I don't like the race you've set before me. And God says, I've set that race before you because that's the race with the time, talent, and treasure, and gifting that I've given you that's going to give me the most glory. You with me? So back to Hebrews 12, right? We're running. We're staying on course. We run this race with endurance, the race that God has set before us, before you. How do we do it? Verse 2, we... In verse 1, we get rid of the weights that lay us down and the sin that tangles us up, but we're looking to something. Verse 2, we look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the, and by the way, he's a model. He's saying he's a model for us here. For the joy that was set before him, what was the joy set before him? Eternal life, saving God's children. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. To stay the course, man, we got to quickly turn from sin, the psalmist says. I, I quickly turn back and trust your commandments. I stay the course with my eyes set on Christ. And by the way, the same gospel that saves us, the doctrine of justification, is the same good news or gospel that sanctifies us. It's not like, hey, you're a follower of Jesus, now be good. No, you're a follower of Jesus, so work and fight hard to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because, by the way, this holiday season, every commercial from now till December 25th is going to scream at you to be dissatisfied with the stuff that you have. And buy the newer, shinier, nicer, bigger, faster stuff. Yes? Read an article this week. 30% of Americans still haven't paid off last year's Christmas bill. If that's you, don't buy any newer, shinier, faster, or bigger stuff. Be satisfied with what you have. Yes? And by the way, if my wife rolls up with a new Mercedes with a bow out in that car, I'm going to be like, what are you doing? Take that back. Are you crazy? You know, we can't afford that kind of thing, right? I never get the car commercials. I'm like, are you crazy? I would never buy a car without talking to my spouse. So um, she'd kill me, I'd kill her. So, all right, I don't know. That's a side note. But if any of you all want to, bl- no, anyway, uh, third thing, let her see. Stay in the course. We stay the course with praise and thanksgiving to God. We stay the course of praise and thanksgiving to God. Psalm 1, 1962. At midnight, I rise to praise you. 
By the way, why are we usually up at midnight? Worry, anxiety. But when next time it gets you up, pause and give praise. At midnight, I rise to praise you because, this is very important, by the way, because of your righteous rules. I love this because the psalmist probably, maybe, it doesn't say this, I'm in, you know, giving some thoughts here, but a lot of times, when I, I know for me, when I'm up in the middle of the night, it's usually because I am worrying. There's some anxiety going on in me. And the psalmist says, man, you know what, we can turn our attention from worry and we can give thanks to God. Instead of worrying, let's think about the things that God has done for us. If He's done it in the past, He's going to do it in the future. Yes? He's the same God. The Bible says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by the way, what does the psalmist say he's thankful for? He's actually, he's not thankful for stuff, although I'm sure he's thankful for his stuff. He's actually thankful for the character of God. I'm thankful about your righteous rules, which come from your righteous character. And why is he thankful? We're going to get to this in verse 68 in a minute where the author says, God is good and God does good. Therefore, his rules, his word is good for us. And so when we praise God that he's revealed his word to us, it helps us stay the course. Finally, letter D, how do we stay the course? Letter D, the song says, I live in community. I live in Christian community. Psalm 119.63 says, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. Listen, there are few things that will pull you off course like the influences of your friends. Young people, even old people, show me your five closest friends and I will show you the course that you're on. Or maybe the five closest influences, which by the way, this is not just friends, it's influences. What influences your thinking, your authors, your podcasts, your music? These things influence our minds. Romans 12, Paul says that we're transformed by the renewing of our what? Minds. The things that you put in there transforms us into a form of thinking. This is why at Coastal, our vision of Coastal is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And we want you to do that through connecting to God in corporate worship. And the second one is what? Grow in a what? small group. And by the way, the small group is not just like, well, I did my religious duty. Let me check the box. You know, if you go to your small group and you sit there with your arms folded and you don't say anything, you're looking at your watch, when's this thing over? I'm only here because Sean said I had to do it to be a member here. So annoying. And you walk out, you're not, you're not doing, you're not catching the heartbeat behind it. It's to, to put brothers and sisters in Christ around you so that when you're struggling with temptation or sin or difficulty or just difficulty, life's just hard sometimes, and there's people around you that love you and you can be honest with you, pray for them. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And the author of Psalms says, man, I'm a companion to, to all those who fear you. I'm a uh, I'm t- I surround myself with people who are serious about the Word of God and following God's Word. And then the author gives some thoughts on staying on course. To, he then reminds us that some people, number two, have to learn the hard way. 
Point number two, some people have to learn the hard way. How many of you have a kid as a parent that no matter how many times you warn them, right? You're like, you do this, and that, like no matter how much you preach at them, so many much you encourage them, they still learn the hard way, right? How many of you have that kid, right? Okay, about a third of you. How many of you are that kid? Like, that's it. I'm just going to do it my way, and I'll figure it out. Okay, yeah, some of you as well. So the psalmist is that way a little bit too, right? Psalm 65, he said, man, you've dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. And then he asks for something. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Man, what a prayer, by the way. And if you're like 18 and under and you just were to get up every day and get in the word and go, God, I'm going to read your word. If you'll just teach me good judgment and knowledge, man, you will go way further than most. Okay. He says, teach me your good judgment and knowledge because I believe in your commandments. Before, so in other words, before I followed your word, I was afflicted and I went astray, but now I keep your word. And why do I keep your word, God? Verse 68, because you are good and you do good, teach me your statutes. So letter A, the author's like, I did it my way. Listen, the Word of God is is good judgment. It's good knowledge. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't take much reflection to figure out how much God has protected you and dealt mercifully with you and graciously with you, right? As you look back over your life, you're like, man, it could have been a whole lot worse if it wasn't for God's hand in my life. Yes? Guarantee. Listen, if you're going to live according to the Word of God, it's ultimately... This is, a, this is a really important truth. If you're going to live according to the Word of God, it's ultimately because you believe that God is good and God does good. Some of you probably had such a tough year this year that this is a journey of faith for you. Yes? Because we're in this in-between time, which, by the way, if you, if you have the right perspective, which... I don't always have it, and probably you don't all the time either, that if the Bible is true, and we know it is because Jesus stepped out of His own grave, conquered the last enemy, He says He's taking us to a place where we're going to live forever and ever 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 and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. And you guys got it right. And so your little 70, 80 years is like a God, that, that was really hard. I really went through some stuff in that And when we have the right perspective, then we're like, oh, wait, I do, I do worship and serve a good God. And, and even in the hard stuff that, that called your life, he was doing something bigger than I could even imagine. Listen, you don't, you don't give your time to a local church unless you believe God is good and does good. Amen. Amen. I guess that's the guy out on the parking lot on a cold day, all right? Like, I'm not out there if I didn't believe in God. You don't give your money away unless you believe that God is good and does good. Yes? 
You don't stay married to another sinner for a lifetime unless you believe God's Word is good and He does good. Amen? Anybody that's been married for any length of time? God is good, and, it, and He does good, and therefore the overflow. You ready for the overflow? His Word is good for you. God doesn't give words to stay on the path of obedience to make your life hard. His word comes from his character and his being and his doing, and therefore it is good for, his word is good for you. So when I get up here and preach on the hard stuff, and you're like, I don't like that very much. The culture's not saying that. That's the opposite of culture. It, it comes from not from me wanting to like spin people up and be against the culture. It comes from the, this belief that the God of the Bible is good, He does good, and His Word is good for us. And the worst thing we can do is walk in disobedience to the Word of God. And when as Christians, sometimes you walk in the Word of God and the will of God, listen, letter B, others may not understand. Some of you experienced that this weekend, right? You got together with your extended family, and like you're the only Christian in that extended family, and your family thinks you're nuts. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, all right? But some of you are like, I, that's just what I went through. Listen, the psalmist understands that. Look at verse 69. He says, the insolent, they smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I've kept your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It's good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes, that the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Let me ask you a question. I'm already starting with the uncomfortable questions. Is the Word of God better to you than money? Really? It's a rhetorical question. So, uh, anyway... <laughs> I love preaching sometimes, you know, it's so fun. Anyway, listen, when you follow the Lord, there are times that others will be confused by your lifestyle. There will be times that people will condemn your lifestyle, and this is not personal to you. Don't take it personal. When you keep the Word of God it, and other people think you're crazy or even angry at you, it's because they're angry and disconnected from their creator. And by you walking in the word of God, it, it, there's a sense of condemnation that, man, I am, this is Romans 1 stuff, right? Romans 1, if you're unfamiliar, is the idea that it, we're all worshipers, right? We're either going to worship the God who is or we're going to worship the created stuff. And so, when we walk with the Lord, our lives are a testimony to others that, man, they're not walking with God and they're, and they're disconnected from their Creator. And so, their frustration, even though it might be directed at you, is actually directed at God. Jesus taught us this. John 15, right? If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world. I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Even Jesus said, they didn't know my father's own. Jesus' own earthly family. 
In Matthew 12, thought he had lost his mind and was off his rocker. So don't be surprised when we follow the Lord and keep his word that the world doesn't accept us. But it's a reflection that the world does not know their creator, which leads to number three. As you stay on course, your life, as you live it according to God's word, is a testimony to others. Is a testimony to others. The psalmist reminds us, letter A, that it's an encouragement to other believers. It's an encouragement to other believers. I love this passage, verse 73. Your hands have made me, made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Let me read that again. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. So first of all, man, I am so encouraged to see you here this morning. I'm so encouraged that you took time out of your Thanksgiving weekend and came here this morning. I suspect most of us really don't understand the impact of our influence in the world around us. I think this scripture teaches us your life probably has more influence than you realize. I think sometimes that we lose sight of that when we're wrestling with our sin. Man, your sin, there's no such thing as a private sin because your life has impact and it has influence. Some of you this year, like, you buried a loved one, yet during the Thanksgiving holidays, you chose to show up in corporate worship and praise the Lord. Like, that encourages me more than you'll ever know. So many of you, I know some of your stories, like, I love, one of the things I loved last week, two things I loved last week, but I love the Lord's Supper where we come forward and I watched the ch- your, you guys, and I know your stories, and I know your challenges, and I know that life hasn't been always easy, and I know you're running the race with endurance, and as you're testifying, as you take these elements that I do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know when you do that, it encourages me. I'm sitting there going, wow, praise God, I'm not in this alone. Praise God, if I go through a similar circumstance, God's going to show up and give me the grace to endure and get through it just like he gave you the strength to get through and endure. That encourages me. I love the baptisms. The reason we do baptism and the way that we do it, where we shut down the children's ministry and we do family worship, it's not so that you can go, oh, it's family worship, I'm not going this morning. It's so that all of us can sit in here together and as we pull our time, talent, and treasure together as a church and we see, man, this is making a gospel impact. People are getting saved as we serve the Lord together through the ministry of Coastal Church and they're standing up and they're professing Jesus Christ as Savior. That encourages me. Amen? Your testimonies last week encouraged me. And so listen, your life is making an impact. You have influence over your children and your children's children, grandparents. You're not done yet. I just talked to my dad last week, and every time I call him, man, we go through the litany of kids, and I know, what are they doing? And the only reason that's important, I know he's praying for them every single day. Right? He's not done yet. 
and he has influence. And I love that the psalmist says, they see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. The psalmist tells us to number our days. You know what I think that means? I think that means we should at some time, not all the time, but from time to time, pause and think about our funeral. What do I want people to say about me? What do I want the, inf- what do I want the wake of my life to look like? Well, they sure made a lot of money. They went on a lot of vacations. They passed on their 401k. Or do you want it to be, they hoped in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I saw that, and they passed it on to me, and I am grateful for the spiritual heritage. Amen? Amen. Your life's a testimony to other believers, and your life also can expose the unbelief in others. Verse 78, let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. One of the things I love about this verse when it talks about the people around us that don't understand, it doesn't tell us that we have to stand up and make a scene about what we believe. It's forward-looking. He says, let the insolent be put to shame because they've wronged me with falsehood. What is, he say, what is the author saying? He's saying, I'm looking forward and I'm going to turn judgment over to God. It's not up to me to judge. God is the ultimate judge. I don't have to worry about defending my name. I don't have to make a scene. My job is to live for the Lord and let God take care of judging me and everybody else. Yes? And so what does the author say? What's my job? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to meditate on the Word of God. By the way, what does the word meditate mean? It means to think about. Over and over and over and over and over and over. It's funny how the culture has taken a biblical word like meditation, and cultural meditation will teach us to empty our minds. You ever heard somebody say that? You just need to empty. No, that's not meditation. Biblical meditation is actually to fill your mind with the Word of God and the promises of God and think about the Word of God over and over and over and over and over. Why is that? Romans 12. Because we need to be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. And so you need to fill your mind with the Word of God. Okay, you ready? How are we going to fill our mind with the Word of God if we don't read the Word of God? Listen, if all you're getting out of the Word of God this week is what you get here on Sunday morning, that is not enough to combat the influences of the world. No chance. This is all you're getting through the week. And studies show you're probably only getting it every, you know, most people only attend church once every other week, every other week. So now you're only getting it twice a month. If this is all you're getting, it's no wonder that our culture is confused when Christians don't even know the Word of God. Amen. Listen, not every thought that runs through your head is from on high. 
Not every thought that runs through your head should stay there. Not every thought that runs through your head is true. Not every thought that runs through your head is life-giving. If your thoughts are not biblical, they're not true and they're not life-giving. By the way, do you know what worry is? Worry is meditating on something in the future that you can't control all the while ignoring the promises of God about how He's going to provide for you. And thinking about that over and over and over and over and over and over and over. This is why Paul says, we take every thought captive and run it through Christ. Colossians 3, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Listen, the Word of God is a powerful, powerful, life-changing, life-giving, hope-breathing tool. Because really, in some ways, your life is the sum of your thinking. And so we're to meditate on the Word of God moment by moment with the eyes of our mind and our soul fixed on the Word because it fixes us to Christ who is our life and our hope and our joy. The Word of God will change you from the inside out because it's powerful. The Bible says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to, able to pierce through bone and marrow all the way to the soul and transform you into the image of Christ. Amen. Now it's time to step on the scale. How many of y'all read the Word of God this week? That's a rhetorical question, guys. <laughs> How many of you read the Word of God this week? We can't meditate on the Word of God if we don't read it. I want to invite the worship team out. I read a statistic this week. 30%, 30% of mainline Protestants read their Bible once a week. 30%. 77% of Mormons read their Bible once a week. And 46% of Muslims read the Quran once a week. I would say that we're underperforming. I, uh, I've used this illustration before. This is... Uh, I keep this behind my desk. I've kept it for a lot of years. This is my teenage Bible. My parents gave it to me. I saw you walking in with your teenage Bible this morning, so good stuff. You're like, don't point me out. Okay, so I won't. It's the teenage Bible that my parents gave me, and I devoured it. Now, um, there's spiritual disciplines in my life that are hard for me, probably the same for you, right? So there's some spiritual disciplines that come really, really easy, some of them that are really, really hard. Uh, but one of them that comes easy to me is reading the Word. And so I was a teenager, man. I devoured this book, and I, I, was, I leafed through it from time to time. Just, uh, there's so many highlights in here of what the Lord was speaking to me as I was reading His Word. And um, I'm always surprised by some of the things I highlight. Of, what in the world was God teaching me there? But it's incredible how 13, 14, 15, as I was devouring this book, how God was 
shaping my thinking and my worldview, some of which I'm still teaching you today, 40 years later. In that discipline and hearing from the Lord and, and reading His Word, it, it shaped my life so much. And I want to leave us with a challenge this morning. Is the God that we worship, the God that we prayed to this morning, the God that we sang a hallelujah to this morning, the God that rescued us by sending his son, is that God worth five minutes a day to get to know him more by reading his word? And by the way, reading his word, is, it's not like a checkbox. Don't just read it like, well, I read it. No, I did my duty that Pastor Sean said. I need to know duty, spiritual duty. I want you to open it and go, God, this is your word. You're knowable. You're not a distant God. You're not a God who spun up the universe and left me on my own. You're a God who took the time to give me the word that I can know you this day. You're speaking to me through your word. And you open it and you give it five minutes. And go, God, I want to hear from you today. There's something in here for me today. And just think as a church, like if we gave this five minutes and read a psalm and read a proverb, anybody know how many proverbs there are? One for every day of the month and read a chapter in the Gospel of John, by the end of the month of December, we'll have read two books of the Bible and 20% of the Psalms. Why? Why would we do that? So that we can know a good God who does good and His words are good for us. So that we can stay the course. And so if you'll make that commitment, man, give it five minutes, because I promise you, I bet everybody in this room some form of media is getting five minutes. If, if, we, if we give it five minutes, it will change you, it will satisfy you, it will encourage you, it will strengthen you, it will keep you on course. Because it's God's word. And the psalmist reminds us, God, you're good, you do good, so teach me your statutes. And so, church, I want you to step on the scale this morning. The doctor's going to slap you in the belly and go, you better lose some weight. I want to slap us in the spiritual belly this morning and say, give it five minutes. Five minutes in the Word of God because God is good, God does good, and we should want to know His precepts so we stay on course. Amen, church? Amen. And so that's my challenge this morning. I want to invite the prayer team up. Prayer team, come on up under these screens. Listen. The holidays can be weird. So maybe it seems like everybody else is having a great time and you've had a stressful week. Don't leave here without our prayer team praying with you. They would love to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I talked about sharing the gospel at the beginning, the good news, you want to know Jesus Christ, come on up under these screens, talk to these folks. They would love to share with you how, man, you can turn from sin, Trust in the good God who sent his best gift, his one and only son, Jesus. And then, church, let's go out meditating on the word of God this week. Everybody give it five minutes. It will transform you.
as you walk in the goodness and the good teachings and precepts of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You didn't leave us alone. You didn't leave us groping in darkness. You didn't leave us not knowing who you are. You've actually been quite clear. You are good. You do good. Teach me your ways, God. Teach me your precepts. And may we take that discipline to know your word so that we know you. Because we love you, we praise you, and now we're going to go out worshiping you through song, God, because you are a good God. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.